0: psalm 139 1 through 16 please stand for the reading of god's word you have searched me lord and you know me you know when i sit and when i rise you perceive my thoughts from afar you discern my going out and my lying down you are familiar with all my ways If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb.
2: Good morning. Good to see you all, first, first morning of real weather it feels like in a long time. It was great. I loved it. You guys kept enjoying the full moon? I was and had to walk the dog. You guys are getting to know my dog over these by Sunday to Sunday. Dakota and I had a great time with the full moon this morning uh, in the wind. It was pretty great. Uh, I'm a little hot, John, and I don't mean looking right now. My voice is a little hot, hot. Um, well, great to be together. And uh, as many of you know, we've been going through a series this fall called Embodied, looking at what does it mean to be physically embodied beings, and how should we think about our bodies from a biblical standpoint. And what we've been seeing is that the Bible presents a, uh, presents a very integrated view of the person. We are, we are embodied souls, okay? Very integrated beings, and a very affirming view of the body. The body's not evil, the body's not an accident, the body's not just a clump of matter, right? The body is, is created by God, it is good, and is a fundamental part of what it means to be human. And what we learn is actually our, our secular culture today has a fairly disintegrated view of the human person. I've got this body, but the real me is this invisible thing inside of me uh, that you can't see, but that's the real me. And um, the body really is, it actually has a fairly unaffirming view of the body. The body's just a clump of matter. It's just material, right? It's just, it's just particles. And I can, I can kind of do with it what I want, but I am not my body, uh, right? I, I am that inner me, and the body I can kind of use how I want, and so we're trying to understand how, how, the, how the scriptures think about these things. And I say that because I think nowhere do we see the difference between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview more than in the final two topics that we're gonna be talking about. So today, we're gonna look at abortion and the sanctity of life, and then we'll look at gender and sexuality issues. Okay, and this is where I, we really see these things come to head, I think. So today, uh, we're gonna talk about abortion. We're talking about the sanctity of life and I'll just acknowledge these topics just get heavier as we go. And perhaps of all the topics we'll talk about, maybe this is um, the most emotionally charged. It feels like a topic where the stakes couldn't be higher. Uh, you have these two fundamental loggerhead values in our culture right now that feel at, at odds, right? The right to choose uh, and the right to life that feel very sacred to the people that hold them, and it feels like there's, it's hard to figure out how we can meet uh, in the middle. Um, we're living in a very unique time, aren't we? A historic time uh, after the Dobbs decision um, that I would guess there are many of us in this room who didn't think we would live to see Roe v. Wade overturned, and I celebrate that that decision, uh, but of course, that creates more tension than ever that hasn 't relie- relieved tension its it 's uh, created more tension and so but we are living in these historic times, and so we 're going to talk about this today um, and I just want to say right at the front end i 'm um, going to be presenting a, a historic Christian view on the sanctity of life, um, but that being said, um, I want to acknowledge that uh, this is not just an issue that we 're talking about, of course, right and it 's not just an issue for those of us in this room that we all have very different experiences in this room, uh, and there are some of us, some of you in this room who have had abortions, right? Uh, or some of you who have children or family members who've had abortions, or who have counseled um, friends or children to have abortions. And for some, that has felt like a decision that has kind of gone fine for you, and you, you feel okay about that. Others of you, um, that's a decision that you regret. And in, in a church environment like this, that is sort of a secret that you keep in a, in a place of, of just hiddenness that is really hard to know how to deal with in a, in a faith community such as this one. And so I just want to remind us all that that is all very present in this room and want to also remind everyone in this room uh, that regardless of where you come down on this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And if you could hear me just say that every 30 seconds, I'm not going to, but every 30 seconds uh, in the next 30 minutes, I'm going to say there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And that there is gospel, I promise you, there is gospel for every single one of us in this room through this conversation today. So I want you to hear what I'm going to say in that tone and with that, that just blanket of gospel grace on every single one of us in this room. So we're going to Approach it that way. So, um, (laughs) you know, I've been trying to take on these topics, and my sermons just keep getting longer and longer. It's like, how do you how do you cover these things quickly? I'll try to do my best today. Uh, But here's what I want to do. I want to first I want to look at Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about this? Uh, I want to look briefly. Just talk about how the early church approached this. Uh, And then I want to look at this current moment and some of the influences that have shaped where we are as a nation today. And then finally, I want to look at what does it look like to be a faithful covenant community together, not just to have a a view on this issue, but to move forward as a faithful community, okay? And I'll do my best to keep it within a reasonable time. I think I can do that. And then we actually um, get to, I get to introduce you to somebody who I'm really excited to do that at the end. So look out for that. Um, so let's look at scripture. What does scripture have to say? I'm gonna mainly focus on Psalm 139, but I'll, I'll drop in a couple other passages. But I think it's, you look at scripture and, and there's a clear scriptural view that every human being, even in the womb, is a recipient of God's tender care, his intimate, creative design with plans and purposes that he has written in his book, right, before any of the days of our lives come to be. And so I want to focus our thoughts mainly on Psalm 139, such a a beautiful psalm, great psalm, and I'm going to narrow us in on verses 13 uh, through 16, but just to to remind you, verses 1 through 6 remind us of God's intimate knowledge of everything about us, right? And Christina led us through that. Uh, uh, Verses 7 through 12, God's inescapable presence. We couldn't get away from Him even if we tried, and we shouldn't want to get away from Him because He loves us. And then the heart of what I want to talk about this morning is verses 13 through 16, God's intimate, creative design of every single one of us, even in the womb, okay? Amen. So let me just talk you through some of the words. These are familiar verses for many of you. Verse 13, for you created my, here's the first description, inmost being. And let me just say, you know, David's using, he's not using scientific language, he's using poetic language in the psalm, right? But I think some of the realities that, that the poetry is conveying are pretty easy to understand. Uh, verse 13, you created, first word, my inmost being. The Hebrew is the kidneys, you created my kidneys. And we, in, uh, in modern day, we talk about the heart. Uh, they, the, the Hebrews talked about the, the kidneys, the guts. What he means is that inner part of me that makes me me, the seat of uh, my emotions, uh, my, my core, my decision-making. It's kind of that, that inner thing that makes me unique. We would call it the heart. They called it the, the, the kidneys. But inmost being is a good translation. Uh, you knit, look at this, me together. The thing that you knit together was the me that is writing this Psalm now, in my mother's womb. And I like that image, you knit. Clearly not a scientific uh, image, is it? Um, Or yours might say, you wove me together. But it's a picture of God's uh, intimate, right? Kind of delicate, uh, detailed formation of, in this case, King David within his mother's womb. Look at um, verse 15, skipping verse 14 for a second. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Frame is referring to his structure, the bones, the structure, the framework, the bodily framework. Is that what that word means? Um, Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed body. Uh, If you look at a Hebrew lexicon dictionary, that word just gets translated usually as embryo is how how that gets translated. Verse 15 again, look at verse 15, interesting imagery. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And I I, I was thinking, wait, I I thought we were woven together in our mother's womb, not in the depths of the earth. And as I read scholars, what they're saying is this is poetic language that um, is is referring to this this dark, it's kind of referring to the the womb as this place that is dark and inaccessible and mysterious. And you think for ancient people, right, the womb was just a great mystery, right? All of a sudden it just slowly starts to grow and then this person comes out, right, nine months later. But it was, they had no access to the womb and so it's, it's like the depths of the earth is, is what they're saying. It's a great mystery to the ancients and yet with the advent of the sonogram, this is no longer a mystery to us. Right, what, what was mysterious and miraculous is still miraculous, but it is no longer mysterious. And I, I want to just show you an image. This is of a 12-week old, okay? Sonogram of a 12-week old. And I was just reminding myself, we've had three children, of the process of those first 12 weeks where God is knitting, weaving, working, in this case, in David. Let me just remind you, conception, right? Sperm and egg come together. All the DNA, the whole language of life, is fully present in that single organism. Begins to divide, to attach to the wall of mom's uterus. Within three weeks, the major organs are beginning to form. The heart is pumping fluid through the blood vessels. Within four weeks, the unborn baby has eyes, this is four weeks, ears, and even a tongue. The muscles are developing. Within six weeks, brain waves can be detected the jaw forms, including teeth and taste buds. By eight weeks, I didn't know this, by eight weeks, every organ is present. At eight and a half weeks, the unborn baby's fingerprints are being engraved. Spontaneous movement begins. Uh, They develop a whole collection of moves over the next four weeks, including hiccuping, frowning, squinting, furrowing the brow, my kids still do that one, (laughs) pursing the lips, moving arms and legs, head turning, stretching, yawning, and of course, thumb sucking. By 12 weeks, their sex can be visually determined. Their eyes, ears, and face begin to display distinctive characteristics. They can kick, turn feet, curl and fan toes, make a fist, move thumbs, bend wrists, turn head, open mouth, and press lips tightly together. That is all within 12 weeks, when many of us don't even know that someone is pregnant. They know they're pregnant at that point, Uh, but we do not. And David is saying, this is all a great mystery, and this mystery has been unveiled to us today. And David is saying, and Scripture says, God, this is your doing. Look at verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And we would say amen to that, right? Intricate, detailed, beautiful, magnificent, miraculously made. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me This is a powerful verse. Were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before any day came to be, God, you had a plan for my life. You saw the ending from the beginning. And now the script of my life is being played out according to your plan. So let me just stop there. Let me remind you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But look at this view of the person. It's a very integrated view. David is saying that the, it's the, the me is the inner, the inner being, the frame, the unformed substance, the me. That's all the same person, and it's a continuous view. The person that was there is continuous with the person that is now writing this psalm, is continuous with the person who will fulfill all the days that you have for me. It's a very integrated and continuous view of the person. All right? Let me just show you two other passages real, real quickly. Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me. This is very consistent with Psalm 139, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before even any of that happened, God saying, Jeremiah, I knew you. I saw the person that I would create. I saw the plans and, and the things that I'd have for you to do. This is the view that scripture has of every human life. And then one other passage I wanted to share really fascinating. It's obviously there's something unique about this, but the story of the birth of John the Baptist and the story of the birth of Jesus, like what we're learning about what is possible for God's creation in the womb. Uh, this is the angel speaking to Zechariah, right? John the Baptist's uh, father. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So this is, this is a unique circumstance, uh, a, a, a human being being filled with the Spirit even within the womb. And then uh, Mary, when she finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus, she got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Okay, so there you have an in utero person being being filled with the Spirit and actually responding <laughs> to the Spirit in praise. And what's interesting is in Scripture, the only objects, things that are filled with the Spirit are persons, okay, there's, there's no part of persons, there's no physical objects, uh, the only things that are filled and that respond in that way to the Spirit are persons, which will be important for things I'll say later. Okay, so all that to say, I think we, we get a pretty consistent view from Scripture That human beings are the wonderful, miraculous work of God, even in the womb, recipients of His creative uh, and tender care, and with plans and purposes that God has for each and every one of them. All right? Amen? Okay. So that's, we could talk a lot more about Scripture, but that's, I think, some of the passages that get inside of this from a Scriptural standpoint. Um, I want to talk just briefly about the early church, and just acknowledge that the, the early church universally, really as far as we can tell, held to this strong view of the sanctity of life, we'd say from womb to tomb, right? The sanctity of every human life, uh, that human life begins at conception and that every human life is sacred and deserving of protection. Um, let me just give you a couple. Uh, the Didache is the earliest uh, extra biblical like early church teaching we have. It has teachings about lots of things. It's super helpful in terms of knowing how the early church thought about various things. This is 70 AD. So this is plenty of the apostles are still alive when this is written. And this is in the Didache. You shall not procure an abortion nor destroy a newborn child. Athenagoras, if we'd had a boy, we would have named him (laughs) Athenagoras. This is uh, second century. We regard the fetus in the womb as a created being and therefore an object of God's care. Tertullian, many of you have heard of him probably. In our case, a murder being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb, nor does it matter whether you take away a life that is born or destroy one that is coming to birth. That is a man, or it could be a woman, uh, which is going to be one. You have the fruit already in its seed. So universally, this was the, 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 the view adopted by the early church. And what's more compelling, I will say this about the early church, is not their view on this, but what their practice was with this. And it was, they had this very sacrificial practice of caring for children that was absolutely uh, countercultural in the time. And you may know this, but in the Roman Empire, first century, um, Infanticide, right, killing of babies, Uh, infanticide was a very common practice. It was not an uncommon thing to do. Uh, They did have abortion tools at that time. You can imagine they were much more primitive. Uh, They did have medicines that people could take. You can imagine they were much more dangerous. Uh, But they also had a practice that is known as exposure, which obviously abortions were very dangerous, so a lot of people would, would give birth. And then unwanted children were were left for exposure to the elements. They'd be taken to the city dump or they'd be taken outside somewhere, and they'd be left. Uh, And they would die by the elements or by wild animals, um, or slave traders would come by and pick them up. And the early church had this just common experience of going through cities and looking for kids that had been left to exposure and picking up those kids and bringing in them into their homes and into their churches and and adopting them. And um, at great sacrifice to themselves. This was a countercultural thing to do. And it was costly, it was sacrificial, but it was a common practice of the early church. One interesting detail that hit me as a father of three daughters um, is this that the pro-life stance of the early church in particular led to the spread of the gospel among women. And I think that's interesting because in today's culture, you know, pro-life is sort of set against um, affirming women. But guess what the vast majority of, of kids who are left to be exposed, guess what their gender was. Vast majority in that culture were girls. Girls were left to be exposed. We actually, we have uncovered, this is, uh, archaeologists have uncovered a letter from a, a first century Roman soldier to his wife, writing back, she's pregnant, and in the letter it says this, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. Meaning, let it go, right? And so, this is just what it was. And the Christians had a view of every human life boy and girl, that was sacred. And so this is part of what led to the spread of the gospel, particularly among women, which is an amazing thing. Okay, so all that to say, the church, early church, this was their view and this was their practice. Sacrificial, loving, remarkable. All right, so let's just talk about where we are today in our nation for a couple minutes. And I was thinking um, of some of the the movements, some of the kind of ideas that have shaped where we are today, a um, little over 800,000 abortions a year in our country um, is, is, is kind of what the stats are. That's actually down uh, from like the early 90s where it was more like 1.5 million. But I, I thought, let's, let's understand what has got us to this point, some contemporary influences, some worldview thoughts on this. Uh, one, of course, you have the sexual revolution back in the 60s, and what the sexual revolution did, it was it disconnected sex from covenant, right? Uh, it disconnected sex from marriage, that sex is not, a, is not between two people who have made this lifelong covenant commitment to one another, but sex is recreation, sex is expression, sex is for pleasure. The vast majority of abortions still come um, from people who are not married, um, so that's what the sexual revolution did. Um, of course, you have the women's liberation and equality movement, where, um, which needed to give women control over their reproduction so that they could be equal, especially in the workplace, so that they wouldn't be pulled away uh, from work for nine months at a time, which is a disadvantage in the workplace. And so to promote that equality and for other reasons for equality, um, that became part of what drove, um, and still clearly one of the main linchpins, which drives the, the pro-choice movement. And I was just thinking this week, um, you know, we put those two things together, right? The sexual revolution and the women's equality movement. And I just want to say, I feel like those two things, actually, those work against each other. Like when you tell men that sex can be disconnected from covenant, that is bad for women. That is, that is not a good message that's going to help women, and of course, that's not good for children either. Um, but today, these are these are paired together. Uh, and then, of course, you had technological advances that made abortion safer than ever in human history. And then one more, and this is the one I want to talk about because it kind of pertains to our series. Then you have um, an idea, a uh, way of thinking that's called personhood theory, uh, and this really is most relevant to the conversation about the body. And so I want to talk about this. Um, So personhood theory. So no one thinks today that it's okay to kill a three-day old, right? The the arguments for pro-choice don't work for most people if what we're talking about is a baby that's three days old. So what's the difference? And personhood theory says, well, here's the difference. Um, The the thing that's in, in the womb is not a person, right? And for years, there was this debate about when does human life actually begin? Like, does it begin at conception? When can we say human life begins? And science has resolved that debate once and for all. Okay, human life begins at conception. No scientist, no bioethicist worth their salt these days, because of what we can now see in the womb, would say anything other than that human life begins at conception. But personhood theory says, yes, that is human life, but that is not yet a person, okay? And only persons are deserving of protection and full rights. And so to become a person, it's not just being part of the human race with human DNA. You need to achieve some level of development, right, Um, to to become a full person. And we can kind of define what we think a person is, Um, You might need to reach viability, for instance, or consciousness, or the ability to reason, or to make decisions, or self-awareness, or the capacity to communicate. We could think of things that might make a person. Uh, Nancy Piercy, she wrote a great book called Love Thy Body. She says this, simply being a member of the human race is not enough to qualify you for personhood, right? The baby in the womb has to earn the status of personhood by achieving a certain level of cognitive functioning. Now, there's a major problem with thinking this way, and that you might be able to come up with really quickly, and here it is: There's absolutely no consensus on when a person reaches personhood. Like what, like, who defines personhood and how do you decide when someone has reached that? Or maybe, towards the end of life, when they have lost personhood? Think about a two-year-old, or two, a two-day-old baby. okay? They're not viable in any meaningful, they are absolutely, utterly dependent, right? Um, I wouldn't say they're morally accountable. Uh, they may not be self-aware. Uh, they're not really making any kind of active decisions, right? Is that a person? And there's a lot of bioethicists that would actually conclude, no, that, that is not yet a person. I've read plenty of people that say, yeah, actually, morally, that's not a person. This has implications for end of life, right? What about people with severe disability? What about people with late stage dementia? what about people who are unconscious? There's all sorts of questions this, this raises. But once you disconnect personhood from being a human being, it gets very subjective uh, about when a person, when, when a human being becomes a person. Again, Nancy Piercy, everything intrinsic to a human being is present from fertilization. There is no single dramatic turning point that can be empirically detected as transformation into a person, right? There's no moment in the womb or after the womb where boom, this happens. From the moment of conception on, the organism merely unfolds the capacities that belong intrinsically to the kind of being it is. And I want to talk about this because this speaks to our series. And I want to say this is a disintegrated view of the person and a very low view of the body. Isn't it? It's saying the human body, the live human body is not enough. The body needs some invisible quality inside that is actually socially determined, <laughs> uh, right? That is determined by somebody else. And if, if the human body doesn't qualify as a person, it's just tissue. It's, uh, it's a clump of matter that can be discarded if we want to. That is not the integrated affirming view of the body that we've been looking at in scripture. Now, one other thing I just want to say uh, before kind of bringing this to our community, the other option is what confers personhood on someone is not some level of development they've reached, but it's actually something that comes from outside of them, which is simply this, whether or not they are desired by the parent. Right? That's what confers essentially value and meanings, whether or not they're desired. If the fetus is desired, um, it is treated as a baby. If it is not, it is treated as as tissue that can be discarded. I was reading from a a woman who had been a pro-choice advocate until she got pregnant, and she changed her mind, changed her thinking. I was calling the life, she wanted to be pregnant, okay, but she was pro-choice. I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it. Yet if I hadn't, I would think of it just as a group of cells that it was okay to kill. That seemed irrational to me. And so the biblical view is very different than that. It says our dignity and our worth as human beings comes from, uh, not from something that we earn within ourselves through some level of development or accomplishment, and it's certainly not something that's determined socially by somebody out there, but it is something that is intrinsic to us. What it means to be created as human beings in the image of God, a specially planned life by him, formed by him with plans and purposes that he has for every single one of us. That is where our life and dignity and worth and our our protection comes from. It is intrinsic to what it means to be a human being. That's the scriptural view, body and soul together, integrated for the purposes of God. Okay, so what I wanna do, I wanna end, not by talking about views and ideas, but I wanna ask the question, what does it mean to be a faithful community in this moment that we're living in? And I have a couple ideas. And this is more than just holding a view about something. It is becoming a certain kind of person and having a love for every single person involved in this. So I think this is, a lot of this is about posture. Oops. Um, what is a posture of a faithful community? What kind of things would we commit ourselves to in this issue of sanctity of life? And I have like four of them or five of them. I'll, I'll go through them real quickly. But first thing I think that needs to be said in this topic is that we have a consistent message to men. And, and this is the thing that gets left out of the conversation, I think, on sanctity of life. And the, and the message to men is don't ever delink sex from covenant. Sex is not there for your pleasure, merely. Uh, Women certainly are not there for your pleasure, but you are called into commitment and covenant and sacrifice and giving of yourself and protecting and caring and providing for this woman that you want to be with. (laughs) And the secular culture has absolutely no message for men these days. I feel like there's, men are so confused because the messages are so darn confusing. And Scripture has a very clear and consistent message to men, which is covenant, commitment, protection, care, right? And so we need to, we need to give that message without apologies. This is a, a really good message in a time when men desperately need to hear this message. Some of them aren't going to want to hear it. Um, most of them aren't going to want to hear it, but we need to hear it. Uh, second, this is so key, I think we want to be a community where we honor and support Every woman at every turn. And one of that starts with, with honoring women's bodies. And the church can be a place that says, women, your bodies are amazing. Your bodies are worth honoring and respecting. And, you know, I've had, I'm married, my wife has had three children. I can promise you the most amazing and miraculous biological process any of us will ever witness is the, the bringing forth of life out of a woman's womb. Like, this is your superpower. <laughs> you know, like, it is truly miraculous. This is, this is why infertility is so darn painful, right? This is a beautiful process. It's a natural process. It's a sacred process. And we do not denigrate that process. We honor it. We say, this is one of the most beautiful things that can ever happen in this world. It should never be seen as an inconvenience or something to avoid. This is beautiful. There are certainly lots of complications, I understand that. But we honor the woman's, what God has uniquely designed you to do. We celebrate that. Um, We honor women who have unexpected pregnancies out of marriage. And you know, if you get pregnant, out, out of marriage, and you, you exist in a, in a church community, um, that can be a stigma, and that can be a source of uh, embarrassment, or you're just not sure what to do. And we should be a community of all people that comes alongside those women and says, we want to support you. We love you. There's no condemnation. We're here for you. We're going to help you do this. This is, this, is, this is what we're here to do. No shame right? We're with you in this. We're, we're, we're here with you. And I, I had the sweet blessing when I was in high school, uh, a young woman in our life uh, got pregnant unexpectedly and, um, and had to figure that out. She's a Christian and uh, she ended up moving in with us um, for the last, how many months was that? You think the last three or four months of more? Most, most, yeah, most of the pregnancy. And I was a young guy who got to watch someone go through all of that, prepared me for marriage really well. Um, but we, I love that she made that decision and that we were able to support her in that. And I got, I got front row seat to that story. And that is what this community should be, right? We're not here to shame. We're here to, to come alongside and encourage them and say, this is courageous and we are with you in this. We also support and encourage every woman who has had an abortion, who has terminated a pregnancy, and there are some of you in this room that fit that description, and that's where I want to say we come alongside you and say there's no condemnation. The gospel is a gospel for you here, and one of the things that we need to learn to do is have compassion for the reasons people choose to terminate uh, a pregnancy. That, I'm not saying we say that that's good enough reason to do it, but All sorts of compassion. I just, that's what this week for me is I was reading things like I have so much compassion for, for the situations that people are put in that where they make that decision. Do you know that basically half of all abortion patients live below the federal poverty level? That's a pretty significant statistic. Half live below the federal poverty level. Um, I was reading a medical science monitor study of post abortion women who've had abortions that were, um, you know, answering questions. 64% felt pressured by others to do it, uh, 54% said they weren't sure about the decision at the time, and half of them felt that abortion was morally wrong, um, but they chose to do it. So, you can imagine what that stirs up in a person. I learned about something called post-abortion syndrome. Um, which is what some women experience, which is not unlike PTSD. They go through processes of like denial, numbness, guilt, shame, and secrecy, avoiding children uh, or pregnant women, fear that their future children will die, nightmares, right, all these really hard things. And that's not obviously some people's that's not experience at all, but it is some. And so we welcome (laughs) those people in our community. And we come alongside them and support them and nurture them and care for them however they need to be cared for. And so I would just say if that's your story and if you grew up in the church and that is a story that had to stay secret, I would really encourage you to find someone that you trust um, to to reveal that. And someone that you know will walk well with you through it and that that you can bring that into the light of, of a trusted friend or trusted community and know there's no condemnation. Right? The gospel is the gospel for every single one of us in this room. There are no unforgivable sins in this room, and there's a lot of sins in this room. Okay? Unless you've chosen to turn your back on Jesus, I don't want anything to do with you. There's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. This is certainly no different than that. So we come alongside women um, at every turn, every kind of woman. And then just real quick, last ones. Um, we sacrificially care for children. Um, I love the emergence of the foster adoption movement in the church these days, and that is a, that is a sacrificial, powerful, like first century early church move. Um, but people, families are doing that, are, are pursuing uh, foster care, foster adopt. But you don't have to to adopt or foster to do this. There's, you know, we we're working at the cottages um, with Olive Crest, and we're starting to just support people with strong families, right? That that organization where we can come along that side, those who are bringing children to their homes, and just be like the village that comes along and takes care. But we sacrifice for children, and this is the case in our country. The the people that are doing this are disproportionately Christians. Christians are on the front lines of caring for, for children. It's not even close. It's like two to one. Uh, this is still the church at work in the world today. Uh, we advocate for good thinking and good policy, right? Um, we care about the decisions our government makes. We use our vote. Uh, we help people think well. Uh, we talk about the science. We talk about the danger of personhood theory. We give a biblical view of sex and marriage, right? And, and we vote. And those are all good things to do. And then finally, and and with this I get to introduce you to somebody, um, we also partner with frontline organizations, right? The church, we're generalists. Um, We do all things. We don't specialize in any one cause, but there are wonderful Christian organizations that do specialize in causes such as this. And so we get a chance to come alongside. And many of you already do that. You volunteer and you support and you do that. And so what what I want to do now is I want to introduce you to Horizon Pregnancy Clinic that is in Huntington Beach that we've actually done some partnering with in the past, um, but nothing as formal as this. And um, Deborah Tuss and her husband, David, are here. I'll I'll call her up in just a second, Um, but she's going to share just for a couple minutes about what they do. And I really, I'll just say, I didn't know much about like what a pregnancy clinic is. I didn't realize the full scope of services that they provide for women and families, uh, from a a pro-life stance, but they support, like I said, every woman at every turn. And so I'm going to show you a two-minute video, Verizon, uh, their video, and then Deborah's going to come up and just share a little bit about what they do and how we can partner. You may have seen the van as you came in and wondered, what's that doing here, Dave? Maybe you figured it out, Um, but she's going to talk about that. So um, watch this two-minute video, and then Deborah will come up and share with us.
1: Here at Horizon, our mission is to provide personal and caring support for those impacted by a crisis pregnancy. We do this by providing pregnancy-related medical services, education, training, and material support to meet the needs of the mother, the father, and the pre-born baby. Our free and confidential services include pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, education, counseling, Earn While You Learn Parenting program, reality check, a sexual integrity program for teens, and an abortion recovery program. Often the girls come in and they're fearful and unsure, but our warm and inviting clinic helps them feel safe. They feel like they can trust us. At Horizon, we have never had a woman come back and say, I'm sorry I had my baby. But almost every day we meet women who say, I wish I had a second chance. I wish I could go back and choose life for my baby. When the world tells them that this is impossible and they can't choose life, we show them life and tell them what is possible. We do this through the ultrasound. Through the ultrasound, we reveal the life of their baby. They get to see their own baby's heartbeat on that screen. It's a powerful moment. Here at Horizon, we give women hope We reveal life to them. Please support Horizon so more women can find healing and choose life for their babies like I did.
3: The video still gets me. After all these years, I still cry. Sorry. Thank you so much, Pastor, and to Ryan. Thank you guys. Um, Wow, he did a great job. Do you guys know how blessed you are to have a pastor that will even speak about this topic? Thank you. in a little recovery right now myself. Okay, so what we do is offer hope to these women that find themselves scared, alone. They don't know what to do. And he's right. Society is telling them the woman has the choice. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just tissue. And what we do is love on them. We let them feel the love of God when they come into our clinic. We hope that they do. We, um, of course, do the ultrasound. We do the pregnancy test. So I want to share with you just a, a little story, and I'm going to get to my slides. But just imagine that you are that woman. You come in, you don't know where to go, you're scared. Many times you are by yourself, and you're thinking it's just, a, it's just a tissue. And we do the pregnancy test. It's positive. We're already engaging with her. We show her the ultrasound, and she sees the heartbeat. Granted, it's this big. Five and a half weeks, we can see the heartbeat. And then we let her hear it. And then she says, wow, I thought it was just tissue. That's the moment that their decision can change. It doesn't always, because the pressures of society are so strong on them. So that's what we do. We offer them hope. We offer them more choices that they're getting from the other side. We are actually more pro-choice than they are, as my husband likes to say. Um, So that's what we do. We are God-led. We are a faith-based 501c3. All of our finances, everything is provided from churches and people like you. No government funding. Praise the Lord for that. Um, So... So yeah, we offer hope. So what does that mean for you guys? How are we going to, how can you partner with us? Um, Why won't this work? Hold on one moment. Let me get my little thing here. Um, Do I need to click something? I I can do it. No, I just, yeah, I just forgot. So divine appointment is our theme for the year. And that has proven to be really relevant more than we even realized. Um, So yeah, let me just go on. with So you know what we do now, you saw that in the video. There's a couple of things that we do now that we didn't do when that video was created, and that is abortion pill reversal. So why are abortions down? Are they really? I'm not sure that they are, because the abortion pill is taking more than 60 to 70% of the abortions. That means they're getting the pill online without doctor supervision, without a prescription, and they're taking him in the privacy of their own home. And it's very dangerous because they don't really know how far along they are. And on websites, everywhere it's telling people that the abortion pill reversal doesn't work and that it increases their risks of, of birth defects. Both lies, and I'm here to tell you we have 33 babies on this planet because it works. So don't listen to their lies. We are a medical clinic by the state of California, uh, supervised by a doctor. All of our uh, medical team, the ultrasounds are performed by trained medical staff. And when we say we save babies, they're God's babies already, right? And I do wanna remind you that we have post-abortion recovery, as Pastor mentioned, but it it is secret. So we have a lot of material out there. This is the one that you should grab if you know someone and we also have QR codes, and you can always just call us privately because we're there to love on you, and going deeper on that topic will change your life. So, and it's for men and women, by the way, if you were a man that was um, a part of, there's the QR code, there's, so it's one woman, two, d- uh, two lives, one decision, two lives. We do pray with them as we take them through their journey. Um, we offer, everything is by permission, we offer to share the gospel with them at the end of their appointment and we've explained all of their options to them. Some of them say no and that's okay. We move on. But at the end of their appointment we offer to pray with everybody and 99% of the time they say yes. Because we all inherently know that prayer is good. So it's a beautiful thing that God is doing through this ministry. So What we've been doing is saving lives, as I mentioned, and when we say that, I'm talking about women that are abortion-minded or abortion-vulnerable that choose life. So we help many more women than just those that are seeking, we help those that are planning to parent as well. But when I tell you that last year alone we saved over 623 babies, you can say amen to that please. Thank you and this year alone we have over 400 uh, 440 so god is working and this is this is above and beyond what the opposition would like us to do It's like i said 70% of the uh, abortions are now happening through the abortion pill and this is victoria she was one of our one of our moms the opposition is true it is a spiritual battle we're in and Google is also blocking our search engines. Last year, we saw twice as many patients than this year, but our save number is about the same. So he's working. We're being impactful, and that's what really matters. So pray that people will find us. We've had to increase our marketing budget, which is crazy, but God is having them find us. So what can you do? How can you get involved? First of all, prayer. We do have a weekly prayer email that we send out on Tuesdays. Uh, We have a team that meets every week in person in Huntington Beach and in Long Beach. And we're seeking to maybe add one locally here too. Um, That is why we are where we are today. So I do encourage you even in, in, just keep us in prayer. That would be amazing. And you can, obviously you can give but I want you to really pray about that and think about that because it's a heart thing. So you're welcome to give, obviously, but I do want you, I know you have a lot that's being asked of you always, but this is something that goes deeper than, yeah. So pray about that. Take. We have some information out there for you. And I want you to encourage you also to pray about volunteering. We need drivers for our mobile clinic And men, mentors. There are a few men here, I want to thank you, I have some volunteers here, please make sure you go out and see them at the mobile clinic. Um, And women, we need mentors for our parenting program that was mentioned. They earn points as they take classes, talk to mentors over the phone. You'll be so blessed to be able to walk alongside these women and men. And we need uh, advocates to work with the patients in the clinics. So we have Long Beach, The Mobile, and Huntington Beach. So pray about that if you feel led. I'm out there, we'll ha- answer some questions. And I just wanna again, thank you all today for having us. Um, there are, let me do that one more time. QR so, up there. So I put the QR codes, no pressure obviously, but what is, what is cool about this is you can, nobody's gonna know which one you're QRing, right? You can choose the post-abortion, you can choose to give, you can choose to volunteer. Or like I said, we have the information outside too. So again, thank you for your community of grace, which I can see is already, already prevalent here. It's an honor to be here to share with you the good work that God is doing through this amazing ministry that offers hope and healing to women in a crisis. So thank you so much.
2: Let's pray, and then we'll turn to worship. Well, Lord, we, this is such a, such a significant, weighty issue in our world and in this community. And we just offer ourselves, um, even as we did earlier, search us, know our hearts, see if there's any offensive way in us, and lead us in your everlasting way. May we be a community of faithfulness and grace and love and compassion and service uh, in this way. So I pray that your spirit would be stirring and multiple people, uh, even now, to jump in in some way. And we pray your blessing on Deborah and the clinic. And we thank you for the work you're doing there. We thank you for the divine appointments that she mentioned. Ugh, love hearing that. And we just pray that you give them favor. Give them favor online. Give them favor as women come in. I pray, pray that just your, your grace would permeate um, the mobile clinic and the, and the two um, brick-and-mortar places that people would walk in and just your spirit and your shalom would rest on them and they would experience love and care and healing and support. And for especially women who are scared and who feel very alone, that they would feel your hands and feet coming alongside of them and wrapping around them through that clinic. So we pray your blessing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.